Welcome to the IBM Podcast Network. A few days ago, I was walking down the boulevard when a man in a long black coat and a long black hat wearing dark glasses stepped in front of me and said, "I know what you did last summer." I was surprised. I told him, "So, even I know what I did last summer." The guy seemed surprised by that. He took a deep breath and then he said, "I also know what you did last evening." He paused. Then he took out his phone and held it in front of my face. There was a picture of me in my underwear and um, I won't tell you what else was in that picture but I was shocked. How could you get this picture? I will complain to the police. Ha ha ha. He laughed like a maniac. If you go to the police, I will show them what you did last week. He swiped the screen and showed me what I did last week. I freaked out. I'm getting out of here I said. Get away. But as I brushed past him, he laughed and said, "You can't get away from me. For one thing, you can't run fast enough. You had 18 Malai Malpuas on Saturday. You have a BMI of 29.2. If you run now, you will be out of breath in 41.3 seconds. Remember what your doctor emailed you a month ago. Your cholesterol level is too high for this." I was angry now. Who are you and how do you know so much about me? He replied, "Maybe I'm the government and maybe I am you." At this point, he whipped off his tall black hat and dark glasses and I saw that he looked just like me, only a little more handsome. I almost fainted. "What shit is this? Who are you?" "Didn't you hear me?" he said. "I am you." I have stolen your identity. You don't exist anymore. You are a ghost that walks. Welcome to the Seen and the Unseen, our weekly podcast on economics, politics, and behavioral science. Please welcome your host, Amit Varma. Welcome to the Seen and the Unseen. Everyone these days is talking about digital India. Digital India is this, digital India is that. So much convenience, let's go cashless. This is heaven on earth, blah 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 blah. Well, I have with me today on the show a man who would advise caution. Devanshu Datta is a columnist based in Delhi who has written extensively on technology and economics. Devanshu, tell me what are the downsides of digital India? there are two major downsides one is privacy and the other is data protection they're not exactly the same thing privacy leads into surveillance in the sense that there could be an all seeing all monitoring netra as it's called system which takes my data your data collates our metadata figures out for instance that we are sitting right here right now uh using all various locational bits and pieces on the phone um and by inference figures out that we must be either doing a podcast or some other kind of recording that's one level the the fact is that for a modern human being if you're carrying anything like a uh let's say a metro smart card or your phone has it is just switched on you can be located pretty much to within 100 meters of wherever you are 
which means if that data is put together with other things, for example, if you visited a medical lab and you happen to have searched online for, let us say, HIV tests, uh, it doesn't require a great deal of intelligence and a deep learning AI program could take this and say that, well, you know, we have reason to believe that this man might have, you know, been interested in testing for. So sensitive medical information can be inferred, even if it cannot be directly proved. If you're using a card to pay for a medical test, a pathological test, then we take that one step further. Mm, that's privacy. Let us say that we need to define what is private and what is not private in a more clear way. The second thing is uh, criminal use of data. If something like Aadhaar gets hacked, you could, first of all, shut down a lot of government schemes. Secondly, you could do, you know, fairly nasty things like transfer huge sums of money either into bank accounts or out of bank accounts. You could cause a completely chaotic situation. You could potentially cause identity theft or you could swap identities. For example, if your biometric information is swapped with my name, uh, and mine is swapped with somebody else's name. You'll have complete hysteria up and down the line. Again, it's not very clear, A, what level of security exists to prevent such malicious acts happening. And if something like that happens, it's not clear what kind of restitution would be available for an affected entity. It might not be an individual, it could be a corporation which got hit with something like this. So I have two further lines of questioning uh, from there. The first one is fairly trivial, but to go back to the privacy point, a lot of common Joes say that, look, the the point about privacy matters if, say, you're a political dissident, like you and I might well be, and the government wants to shut down your free speech or whatever, then it matters that they can see where you are 24-7 and can, con you know, spy on you. But for the common Joe, what is the big deal if uh, various bots everywhere are figuring out their preferences and serving them more targeted ads? Well, it it can run into a problem in the sense that, for example, if you happen to have a taste for eating beef and you happen to have gone to Goa or Kerala or West Bengal where it is perfectly legal and you have bought and cooked and eaten beef right. and you come back to Bombay and mm -hmm. your neighbor happens to get this information and decides to embarrass you a lot by making it very public. You could run into social opprobrium. Mm -hmm. uh, you might, for example, have you know, gone to a massage parlor in Delhi, which is again perfectly legal. And uh, you might have paid the masseuse an extra, something extra. Uh, again, this is perfectly legal, but it is also information that could be potentially embarrassing to you. It is really no one else's business if I, if I choose to let, this is one of the points many people make, it is my data. I would like to own it. If I choose to tell Google that, hey, I happen to be at the crossing of SV Road and Linking Road, or I want to know the nearest place where I can buy a bottle of wine, that's fine. I'm 
telling, I'm asking for a certain amount of information and you're welcome to make what you will of that information. But I would like to be in control of my data. I would like to know how much of my data is out there and how much of it is digitally dispersed in different silos and how much of it is available at one spot to one all-seeing eye. Again, uh, this is an example I'm taking from a friend of mine who is fairly wealthy. And um, since he drives an Audi, if he commits a minor traffic infraction, he tends to get hit for huge sums in bribes. I drive a much less upmarket car and committing the same infractions, I get asked for smaller bribes. This is the copper who's going by the fact that, well, uh, making a judgment call that, fine, this man is the owner of a very expensive car, so he can afford to pay a certain amount more in the way of speed money. Now, if the copper actually had access to your PAN number and your IT account, uh, he could fine-tune his his uh, demands in a much more fine-grained fashion. He could actually say that, well, you know, I know you've just withdrawn 15,000 rupees from the ATM. Give me 10. <laughs> and give me 10, as the case may be. So for someone who's into rent-seeking, this is a feature, not a bug. It helps it him optimize. A, it is a feature, and the point is that uh, it is also a feature which, if I was uh, a black hat, I would be rubbing my hands with glee because I could be into rent-seeking and get into uh, these systems and use ransomware. There's so much you can do. There's so much you can do. And Okay, my second question is really a two-part question. One is that countries which are further down this road than we are, what kind of safeguards typically have they put in place to protect both privacy and uh, sensitive data? And secondly, what are we doing wrong? What more should we do? Okay. The first thing I think is that you have to see data protection and security as part of your essential infrastructure. It's just as essential as having a good high-speed optic fiber line which can run a 20 GBPS or a 60 GBPS or whatever. Right. It is as much part of your infrastructure as that. If you put in the security and the precautions right at the beginning, it will not be patchwork. It will be much more holistic right. and it will also be cheaper right. and more cost-effective. Right. Second, uh, things other countries have done, you start with the basics. First, you define what is sensitive data. Then you define who owns what as in how much of your personal data is actually your personal data and how much of it is stuff that, for example, your PAN and your IT is known to the government on a need-to-know basis. They are imposing taxes on you. They need to know your income. However, only one specific department of the government needs to know your income. That should not be uh, accessible without a warrant to any other random government officer. Right. Uh, if there is no need for it, it should not be asked for and it should not be available except under warrant. Uh, second, you impose certain basic norms on the guardians of that data. As of now, there is no punishment if, for example, a hospital keeps its 
medical records unencrypted online. We had an incident last week where somebody downloaded 43,000 Patlav reports in Bombay mm. just to show that it was available unprotected. Now, that's sensitive information. It affects insurance. It affects possibly friends and partners of the people who went through those tests. And it affects their careers. Right. Uh, there is no legal liability for the lab in question because it isn't recognized under law as a breach. Right. You need to impose certain basic security considerations on guardians of this data, and that includes the government. In fact, the government is the biggest guardian, but on banks, on governments, on insurance companies who have to have a lot of sensitive data on hand. So how does how does the US and the European countries, how do they handle They that? do have very carefully defined laws as to what is sensitive data, right. uh, which includes things like location, which are not considered sensitive even in the most broadest of Indian laws. Oh your right to privacy does not include location. Mm -hmm. In fact, the government has argued that privacy should not be a fundamental right, mm -hmm. but location is not even considered sensitive. Mm -hmm. Your medical records are at least considered sensitive. Mm -hmm. So nobody has an obligation to protect your location. Google could sell your location. You know, if tomorrow somebody wanted to know, well, what does Amit Varma do? Mm -hmm. Google could say, we don't really know, but 24-7... This is where he is, and this is his weekly routine. Okay. Um, other countries have then imposed certain basic security norms on guardians of that data. It, they have to be kept in digitally secure vaults. They have to be maintained in, with that security being upgraded as computer systems improve, because obviously right. yesterday's... Mm -hmm. Digital encryption is not good enough to last today. And finally, there is restitution in the sense that if uh, data is hacked and put online or there is a breach, you can sue and the guardian in question will be forced to pay a certain amount of compensation. There have been class action suits, for example, every time that credit cards get, have got hacked in America. Here in October, you had a four million odd debit cards being hacked across five different banks. Right. Uh, the question of restitution does not arise. I mean, the banks will at best settle whatever bills happen to be run up by the people who hacked those cards. Right. And they will issue new cards, but they can't be taken to the cleaners as they should be for having kept them in an insecure way. So you need to impose those uh, those mandatory safeguards right. and to punish people who do not maintain those mandatory safeguards. And overall, you need a data protection law. We do not have a data protection law. You need, <coughs> of course, to, de uh, to define privacy. Right. There should not be a scenario where to take a very famous case, Nira Radia, the Radia tapes were leaked. Right. They were supposedly collected as evidence by a wing of the CBI. Right. They leaked. Right. No one has uh, really uh, debated the authenticity of those tapes. People have implicitly agreed that those tapes were by and large authentic. They may have been fiddled with, but by and large they were authentic. They were 
gathered for an investigation which went nowhere. Some fifty thousand hours worth of tapes were recorded, and, right. and they were released. Have you heard of a single policeman being even indicted for this, rather than going to jail? Right. If it, you know, the other laws of evidence. I mean, if you walked into a police station and stole uh, and stole, you know, evidence which had been gathered in a physical crime. Let us say you took away all the weapons which had been gathered in a terrorist encounter. You would be liable under law. So would the police for letting you have it. Now here. Uh, There's a much greater laxity because and it's look, data. Uh, yes, and mm. you know the buck. If the buck doesn't stop with the Home Minister, does it stop with the Home Secretary? Does it stop with the Commissioner of the Police Department, which allow this to happen? Who does it stop? Maybe with? in a cashless society, <coughs> there's no buck. But who does it stop right. with? So I, I, has to be uh, so I have a further question. Almost all of my data probably is say with big companies like Google and Facebook. Hmm. Now. Uh, do they have different policies in different countries to safeguard this data? How does it work? Can you talk a little bit? They do more? have uh, different policies in different countries, and they have, for example, Facebook and uh, Google have run into a lot of problems with the EU because the EU has much higher privacy standards than America, even. Yeah. And uh, in certain cases, for example, Russia has insisted that if you're going to be um, Running services in Russia, you have to have your service servers located in Russia, which is, of course, the big state surveillance thing. Because then, they have much more control over being able to suck data out of your servers. Mm -hmm. But yes, they have different. They comply with local privacy laws where those laws exist. Now in India, in fact, it was people from Google who told me that well, you know, location data is not. Considered sensitive under Indian law, and in other countries it is. It is, of course, right. considered sensitive. It's, mm. I, I mean, it is obviously. Mm. I would have thought this is completely self-evident that yeah. uh, you know location data is sensitive. It's only Indian law which, for some reason, when they made the initial IT Act, uh, presumably they did not think that location was uh, was possibly gettable. At that point of time, it wasn't common. To be able to GPS. So, would it be correct to say that at that point in time, when the IT Act was put together, it was more an act of commission because they didn't understand the implications yes, well enough. Yes, possibly. But then, you do need to update an act right. like that, and uh, so it's you know you and you will there will be other unforeseen bits and pieces of data which become right. sensitive as things get more fine grained. So, know. without specifying what they are, you need to account for the possibility yes. right now. Yes, for example, you know the whole thing about if I have a phone which is turned on, and if I have allowed an app access to my microphone, it is right. technically quite possible for the app to be recording this conversation as we have it. Mm. Uh, and uh, while it may not be very easy right now, uh, you have to allow for this possibility. And if you're writing a new law. You have to have, let us say, a, a catch-all category which says any data which may become sensitive in future. Right. Uh, we are dealing with a science fictional situation that way. So I, I have a two-part question uh, to follow up on that. Uh, part one is that if you then had to update the IT Act or make laws regarding privacy, would you want to customize them to India, or could you just say copy-paste from one of the European countries which has handled it well so far, and they would suffice? Number one. And the question number two is that: What are the obstacles to these kind of reforms in India? 
are there any obstacles is it just bureaucracy is somebody protecting their turf what's the deal you could largely i think copy paste from the eu's norms which are the most evolved where these things are concerned uh for example eu even has something slightly controversial the right to forget meaning you can ask a search engine right. to non index information about you mm-hmm. uh you might need to mindly tweak it for indian context but yes i think you could that would make a good working template the second part of this resistance to this i think is because uh of two things one is there is reluctance on the part of indian of india inc of commercial startups etc to let these protections happen because right now there are a lot of commercially positive implications to being able to for example locate you give me an example <laughs> well zomato can figure out how many restaurants will deliver to right. your exact area right uh, they can uh, google can figure out you know whether you are more likely to read military history or um books on cooking for right. example right. to fairly common hobbies so there is a mm. reluctance to let commerce be impeded by this and at the government level i think there is a reluctance to have safeguards put on the government's ability to survey to track and survey people for example in theory um, britain has just put in an extremely regressive surveillance act which looks a bit odd because britain also has fairly high privacy safeguards the point here is that uh, big brother can watch you in britain but big brother also has to get an okay from his big brother right so there is a chain mm. of uh, potential consequences we don't have those safeguards we no. don't have those safeguards and i don't think the government would like to have those safeguards right now as it stands a verbal order from a policeman of you know any ips officer basically uh can give a verbal order saying put a tap on this guy's you know and i suppose this is especially a worry as we get more and more authoritarian and a classic example of that which comes to mind is the the leak about tista settlewad using her credit card Absolutely. to buy alcohol Absolutely. which is you know uh, again a massive breach of privacy and it's Absolutely. besides being completely irrelevant to anything it is purely an attempt to embarrass somebody who is a critic of the government and yes i mean if her credit card had been used to buy whatever birth control pills or whatever right. uh, again and the fact is that again that that leak was happened with impunity right because uh, the government has every right to collect financial information on you specifically in a case where it suspects that uh, you know you have financial improprieties right. involving a tax uh, an organization which is uh, which gets tax breaks right it has every right to collect that information uh, as the law stands it also has the right to dump it in public domain to in order to embarrass you wow. if you had a privacy law uh, you this was at an open in fact the example you used was open press conferences right. it wasn't uh, harshash take it, it out it wasn't the side. leak yeah ah, it wasn't a harshash take it out the side door right it was uh, so you know it has a right to embarrass you
So, so I have one final question for you. I mean, we are ending this episode on a slightly pessimistic note because it's obvious that there are powerful interests such as the government and big corporates ranged against giving us a kind of privacy and data protection that we might want. But my question to you is that as an individual user and as an individual generator of data, so to say, what can we do as best as we can to safeguard our interests? There's a level of individual security which you can put in to try and see that your own communications are not, for example, use email which has fairly strong encryption, use something like Signal or WhatsApp which is end-to-end encryption. Uh, encryption. Um, beyond the point, you can't because you're engaged with a banking system. This is an example I've used increasingly in the in conversations in the last couple of weeks after demonetization happened that, well, you know, as the government says, it is very easy to transfer money into your account using a direct benefit for gas subsidies and M and Riga, etc. It is equally easy to transfer the money out. Right. And uh, assuming you're engaged with the economy in any, any given way, unfortunately you are at, without laws, you are entirely at the mercy of the government if it decides tomorrow at its discretion to transfer money out of your account. So a cashless economy, in a sense, is the end of freedom. It is. In that sense, it is very much the end mm. of freedom. You are, I mean, you're talking about electronic bytes. If there is no law to uh, protect that data, and it might not even be the government, it could be a clever right. hacker's collective. Right. Devangshu, thanks a lot for being on the show. And in case Big Brother is listening in, hey, Big Brother, what's up? <laughs> thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Talking to Devangshu made me wonder why I call the show The Seen and the Unseen. In the times we live in, can anything really be unseen? Having said that, in this shallow age of short attention spans, can anything even be seen? Maybe there's no scene. Maybe there's no unseen. That's an apt philosophical note on which to end this episode. See you next week. Next week on The Seen and the Unseen, Amit Varma will be talking to Alex Tabarak about Floor Space Index or FSI. For more, go to seenunseen.in. If you enjoyed listening to The Seen and the Unseen, check out this exciting new podcast from Indusworks Media called Keeping It Queer. Keeping It Queer is hosted by my friend Naveen Narona and he profiles LGBT people from all across the country and some of the stories are really poignant. Check it out on Audio Boom or iTunes. Hi, this is Amit Doshi and I wanted to thank each and every one of our listeners. It's been two years since I founded IVM and it's been an amazing two years. We wanted to learn a little bit more about who is listening to our shows, and so we put together a short survey. The survey is anonymous, and we aren't going to be collecting any personal information. I would really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes out of your day and go to ivmpodcast.com slash survey and fill it out. Thanks, and please keep listening. Hey, man, just help me out, man. I need some, I need some podcast, man. I haven't had a fix in a week. Just need some. Don't you worry about it. I got podcast galore for you, man. Just go to ivmpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks, man. I'm going to check it out.